You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. Part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it's game day, preview day. We'll break down all the matchups position by position, tell you the current state of the Bengals, give you some key stats, ask the question, what's at stake this week, and finish up with our three keys to victory as well as our week four picks from somewhere in South Florida, sheltering from Hurricane Ian, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Hope everybody out there is staying as safe as you possibly can away from Hurricane Ian, which is picking up speed at a Category 4 here on a Wednesday afternoon. Everybody on Southwest Florida in the Tampa area, we're thinking about you. Hope you stay safe and hope you find shelter because it's pretty scary out there right now. We had a tornado come by the house only a few miles from our house last night. We saw some pretty severe winds and rains. I saw the Publix on Sheridan and Pembroke Pines had broken glass and fallen trees and debris in the parking lot. So getting pretty close to home. The outer bands of the hurricane are definitely affecting us here in South Florida, but our thoughts and our uh, really our entire minds are with, with the people of Southwest Florida because it's looking pretty scary over there. Tough to transition off of that. We're going to do it here and talk about a football game on Thursday night, and it seems like just yesterday we were getting ready for week three as we turn the page and we're on to Cincinnati. And how about those Bengals? I don't think any two teams are an exact reflection of one another, but as we look at the Bengals and their arrival at this current point in time, it's really not that far off from the Dolphins. And really, you can kind of balance the two together and say, like, is this how you build a team? Is that how you build a team? And obviously, last year, Cincinnati went on that magic carpet ride through the playoffs and kind of, in a lot of ways, put the debate to bed. But that's why in this league, you know, quarterback position, but but teams as well, you never want to get too entrenched in one view because of one season. Because in a game of football, sample sizes, you know, with one game a week, it's not that large. And things can change quickly. I mean, I was a big Jalen Waddle fan for a long time. And, you know, he's looking pretty good right now compared to the other options in that draft class. And it's a, it's a good draft class. Don't get me wrong. All four guys at the skill spots, Devontae Smith, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, and Jalen Waddle are all freaking studs. But man, uh, you know, that's why you give things time because a first round draft pick and Waddle, that's pretty damn good. But both these teams picked top five in 2020. They both took their quarterbacks of the future. The returns on that looking pretty dang good for both teams right now. Both teams brought in some free agents to help balance out those draft classes. You know, we had Waddle and Chase and these weren't the same years, but like Jesse Bates, Javon Holland, you go to free agency. We had Teron Armstead, they had Lyle Collins, they signed Trey Hendrickson, we signed Emmanuel Ogba. There's lots of these positional examples of Miami and the Bengals using free agency or the draft to address the same positions, 
And it's you can compare them because the teams were kind of constructed at the same rate and same pace for a, a, a similar uh, team cycle as the draft network guys would tell us in our, our preseason or our pre-draft podcast we do here. It's just really interesting that way. Lots of examples like that. And the Bengals rode that defense last year that had, I think, seven of their 11 starters were free agent signings within the previous two years. And they rode that to a playoff run that took them within just a couple of plays of winning a friggin' championship. They turned people over. They ran the ball well. They had timely plays by their quarterback when they needed them over that run. And they also made every damn field goal in the playoffs to win those tight games that they always found themselves in. All three of them came down to the buzzer, two of those overtime victories. And then the Super Bowl was not quite a buzzer beater, but at the very end there. Young quarterbacks on rookie deals, young first-time head coaches. Theirs is in year five. Ours is in his rookie season. Offenses littered with playmakers across the board. Concerted focus on the offensive lines this offseason. Defenses that put pressure on quarterbacks and take the football away. Again, lots of symmetry here. Fun matchup. Let's go ahead and dive right in. Starting with Dolphins offense first, Bengals defense. And we start, as we do every week here on the preview podcast on Drive Time Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, by the way. We're climbing up those boards, and that helps us more than you can know. Quarterback and safety position. Again, pretty distinct matchup here in terms of you know what you're going to get, provided everybody is healthy. The injury reports for both teams are long, but we'll see about Thursday night. Jesse Bates and Von Bell are the starters, and they don't leave the field, and they almost never bring a third safety onto the field. No other safety had a snap in their game on Sunday against the Jets, and they split their looks between single high and two high. It's nearly even at 50%, so you'll get middle of the field open, middle of the field closed on just about every other play, and they're in nickel 63% of the time with five defensive backs and dime 21% of the time, once every five snaps. That's a very high rate for dime defense in the modern NFL. The remainder is three or fewer DBs, which is basically short yardage and goal line situations when you bring on all the big guys. So what I'm telling you is that there's not a lot of variation on this Bengals defense, and there's not a lot of variation on the Bengals offense. We'll get to that here in just a minute. Bates and Bell, though, are tremendous players. Jesse Bates is one of my all-time draft hits. He is a center fielder back there who is almost exclusively in the post. His career splits 75% of his snaps played in that post in the single high, or not, uh, yeah, the the middle of the field safety, I should say, and then scattered snaps across the box slot, wide corner, uh, and down the line of scrimmage. And that should be no surprise because he's among the best middle of the field safeties in football. He was a great outfielder on the Wake Forest baseball team, and you could see the way he anticipated and compartmentalized route combinations, the way he tracks the football, and the way he anticipates the way Everything will play out in front of him. It's why he has 11 career picks and 36 passes defensed. And when they go too high, it'll be Von Bell back there with him. Otherwise, he's creeping up on the line of scrimmage. 44% box player, 13% in the slot, 8% on the defensive line. So 65% of his snaps, he's up in the vicinity of the box. And the rest of those are basically two high looks with the occasional snap out wide at cornerback. This defense mixes really cover three and man with some uh, man free with single high safety up there, which they also play with really big cushions on the perimeter. And I anticipate this will be the look with all the speed the Dolphins can throw at them. We've seen 10 and 17 just press those cushion coverages, that off coverage with plenty of speed. And then you throttle down to create tons of space in those you know, intermediate portions of the field where Tua has been so successful throwing the football this season. It's why I think you could get 10 catches from both of these guys in this game. Like 
It might not be the big explosives we've come accustomed to, but I think you could have 10 catches from both Tyreek and Jalen. And then if you break one, then maybe you get your gaudy, you know, receiving yard of production on the day. But the offense, I think in this game, because of this matchup, can really sustain drives here, which would be nice because that would be a very big benefit to this defense that's just four days removed from a 90-snap game on Sunday. As far as our defensive personnel, they played zero coverage on just four snaps this season. And again, nearly a 50-50 split between single high and two high safeties on that defense. Um, they have they blitz on 20.8% of their snaps. That's the 10th lowest rate in the NFL, so one of every five snaps. And their pressure rate coincides almost exactly with that, 22.3%. That's right in the middle of the pack as well. And the reason I'm going this route is to get to Tua. So I guess the you know, quarterback versus safety versus defensive structure portion of the podcast. Tua is currently hitting 63% of his passes on balls intended over 20 air yards. I've been doing that little like kind of conceited, you know, like uh, pretentious laugh on the podcast a lot lately because I kind of earned it, right? Like I talked about this for a while now and it's coming to fruition for a few weeks here. Hopefully it keeps going. That's tops in the NFL, 63% on 20-plus air yard throws. But the Bengals play a style that keeps things in front. They actually rank sixth in average cushion allowed on the perimeter, so their cornerbacks will stay patient. There was a great clip of Josh Boyer <clears throat> on Inside the NFL against the Bills where he was saying, you know, they're dinking and dunking. That's okay. That's not how they want to play. I thought it was a cool soundbite to have and kind of tells you about the Dolphins' defensive plan and performance, which, by the way, was great. If you, if you look at the box score and get upset about that performance, like just watch the damn game, man. So I don't know what else I got to tell you. But that same idea here kind of applies. The Dolphins have to stay patient and just make sure they're not throwing the ball into those downfield windows that the Bengals are going to try to funnel you into by staying patient and forcing you to be methodical. And again, if you can do that, I like the way that pairs up with a defense that could potentially be a little bit tired after that game on Sunday. Tua is completing 65% of his passes versus the Blitz. 7.6 yards per pass, but he's 73.6% completion with 9.8 uh, yards per pass when they're not blitzing. Incredibly efficient in that department for Tua. I think the patient factor here is a big one, but they also do mix in plenty of man coverage. So keying that man coverage and finding your opportunities, and I think that's been one of Tua's biggest assets this season so far. And Ryan Fitzpatrick talked about this on his Tuesday conference call with local Miami media saying that he's been so impressed with how Tua is seeing the field right now. So deciphering the coverages, being aware of disguise and just what he's been doing. Like if he keeps this going, we're going to be just fine. Really since that Baltimore game, sands the two picks. I think he's been so dang sharp in that area. He was on Sunday. And if he is again tomorrow night, we're going to get to 4-0 if he plays that way again. And with the man coverage... You know, if you see Tyreek on a certain cornerback and he wants that ball, I want to go after Tyreek because of the confidence that he displays. And I think that that type of stuff, the chip on his shoulder, brings out the best version of the cheetah. Cheetah hungry, cheetah gonna eat. We'll get some more carryover in these other positions, kind of finding... That's going to be the case on these preview podcasts because we're always tweaking and improving the show, right? And so... It's not just staying exclusive to that position group. There is carryover, like I talk about there with Cheetah, as the Dolphins receivers and tight ends versus the Cincinnati corners. And of course, Tua's weapons have been a massive asset to him this season as well, in addition to the way he sees the field and processes and throws with, in my opinion, top five anticipation in the National Football League. Big surprise, right? I mean, we've been talking about it for four freaking years here, about what this kid can do, uh, the way he sees the field. 
But Penguin and Cheetah, second and third in receiving yards right now. They draw a really, really good Bengals secondary. Cheetah Awuzie is was one of my favorite players coming out. I want to say 2017 second round pick. He blossomed mid-run with the Cowboys, and now he's a damn good corner here for the Bengals. He broke out last year, and he's taking it to another level this year so far through three games. He played 100% of their snaps on Sunday. So did Eli Apple. And Mike Hilton played 97% of their snaps. So yeah, they're almost always in either nickel or more defensive backs like a dime package. So that begs the question, do you try to get them out of that with mixing your personnel or do you just stick to what you do best? I mean, coach mixes personnel as well as anybody in football, but he was once asked about, you know, running more in terms of balancing the offense and how, you know, it wouldn't be very smart to just neglect Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, which makes perfect sense. To me, they're both top five receivers. Now, the difference, Mike can do that while mixing personnel. He's already done it before. We broke down that 21 personnel empty set, the stick nod pass to Jalen Waddle for 59 yards against the Baltimore Ravens. Man, I think that package could cause some matchup issues here. Why? Because their linebackers are more modern game, cover and speed types who allow them to play those deep shells because of their athletic ability and range to extend the hook zone beyond 10 yards. But you slam Alec Ingold in there a lot, and you either have some success and just keep doing it, or it influences them, and they step up, and you utilize that flow against them, right? This offense is so tough to plan for, man. And why is this in the receiver portion, you might ask? Well, that defensive structure, excuse me, Morty, mixed with the player types on either side with the over routes and slants that we can run, plus that friggin' stick nod to Jalen Waddle, I think that relationship bodes well for this Dolphins passing game. Their fourth corner is Trey Flowers, not to be confused with our Trey Flowers. He played 27% of the snaps on Sunday. That's your dime packages. Uh, so they don't really bring the safeties on. It's all about four corners and two defensive or two safeties in their six defensive back looks. Some stats on them. I talked about Owuzie. Teams are 11 for 27 throwing at him this year. That's that's unbelievable. That's the best completion percentage allowed in football for a cornerback. He's fluid, strong. He'll challenge you your entire way up the route. So if he gets physical and presses, maybe you can get that release and get on top of him. But 136 coverage snaps this year, 102 yards allowed. A f- superb stat for him. That's great, great numbers for Cheeto Awuzie. Eli Apple, 133 coverage snaps, 100 yards allowed. That's also really dang good. And Mike Hilton, 117 and 100 yards. Like these three corners, man, they're really good. It's a good secondary. They mix up man and zone really well. And you can tell they've been playing together for a long time. In fact, there was a great clip with Lou Anarumo. You might remember that name. Uh, He had this really good diatribe in a press conference a couple weeks ago about the critical aspect of communication in your defensive backfield. And he compared it to a shortstop and second base duo on a double play and how it really requires some time together to get that stuff down. And this is a team that is so deep in that area and really across the board after they attacked the offensive line in free agency, or so they thought, uh, of drafting Daxton Hill and Cam Taylor Britt in rounds one and two, a safety and a corner from Michigan and Nebraska respectively. The two of those guys have combined for 13 snaps on defense. That's not an indictment at all of those players. It's a testament to the level of play they've gotten from the guys that are playing. And the numbers are right there. Opposing quarterbacks have an 82.8 passer rating against this Bengals defense. You carry the one there, that's 35 points lower than Tua's 117.8 rating. Good on good, man. And as far as their RAS, their relative athletic scorecards, Awuzie 9-5 has elite times across the board. He was a great workout uh, warrior in addition to good tape in college. 
Eli Apple has an 8-9 score, but a 7-second 3-cone is a little below average, 4.5 out of 10 in, in terms of the t- uh, 0 to 10 scorecard. And he also checks in with just above average times in 10 split and shuttle. We track those because of how quick these receivers are for Miami. And then Mike Hilton wasn't very good, 2-3-9 out of 10. That's, that's very below average. We don't know math like me. But the rare bad RAS with decent quickness times, like, he struggled in the other measurements, but his he was average in three-cone, shuttle, and ten-split. So, interesting mix there. And I've really kind of harped on this mixture of zone and man. That's really every defense. And it doesn't, you know, it, look, it doesn't take a bunch of research to know how tough it can be to defend Hill and Waddle against man coverage. But I've been so impressed by the synchronicity of those guys with Tua on some of those digs and in-breakers where Tua anticipates but settles them down with a throw location opposed to running them into a hit. And them, too, for throttling down their route appropriately. It's a fascinating matchup, man. One more thing I'm looking for this week, or just soon in general, is a number three option to emerge. It hasn't really happened yet. There's been a nice compliment of other guys like Sherfield, Craycraft, Big Mike, and the backs getting involved. But it would be so beneficial for this offense if a third guy stepped up and just had like an 8-for-80 game where you have to kind of pay attention. Let's go ahead and take our first break. We'll come back and do the offense and defensive lines, running backs and linebackers, and then pick it up on the other side of the football with Dolphins defense versus the Bengals offense. That's next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. It's a Wednesday afternoon. It's rainy, windy, blustery on the outer bands of a hurricane blowing up the southwest coast of Florida. Hope all of our friends in Tampa and Naples and the surrounding areas are all staying safe. It's pretty scary over there, so I'm thinking about you guys right now. Uh, talking about some football, hopefully distracting you if you have lost power, if you don't have access to entertainment. Hopefully we can do that for you here for 30 or 40 minutes on the Drive Time Podcast. We'll go ahead and pick it back up here with the offensive line of the Dolphins versus the defensive line of the Cincinnati Bengals. And it was announced that DJ Reader's going to miss some time, so he left the game on Sunday against the Jets after just 18 snaps. He's, I think he might be their best player, so that's a big loss for the Bengals. He is kind of the straw that stirs a drink and sets their defense up for what they want to do. I'll talk about that more here in just a minute. BJ Hill's the same way. What a player he is. A 60% snap guy. Uh, Josh Tupo plays almost exclusively on the nose, a massive, massive people mover and block eater. Uh, He was number two in snaps on Sunday. And then Zachary Carter also got a 30% workload, essentially filling in for some of the work missed by um, by DJ Reader. So they'll have to find a fourth guy for that rotation. But Hill and Reader, you know, I compared them here in my notes to Tim Bowens and Larry Chester because that massive size on the interior defensive line helped Zach Thomas stay clean, right? Like if there's one thing Zach, you know, wasn't the best at was if he was a beat slow, beating a block on his way to the ball carrier, but he was so instinctual and playing behind those two defensive tackles really emphasize those instincts and allowed him to make the plays that his brain took him to as or that his brain led him to, to get to that point to the play and then to physically make the play once he got there a little bit of an undersized but fast hell 
fast as hell linebacker that benefited from those guys to eat up blocks to just maximize that instinctual nature of his game. And DJ Reader was also the penetrator of the group. He led the defensive tackles in this team with eight QB pressures. B.J. Hill's right behind him with seven, and that's it for pressures from defensive tackles. So if you get B.J. Hill blocked, there's a good opportunity here for Tua to have lots of time as far as the interior portion of his pocket. Interesting to see how they manufacture Reader's production in the interim with him down. B.J. Hill is 315 pounds, but he plays even bigger. But I've been so impressed by Connor Williams this season. If you ask me, Connor Williams and Teron Armstead are both an all-pro consideration through three games. Long way to go, but that's a good start. Uh, the anchor has has just been so good for him, but also the way he fires off the ball. He's stealing off those A-gap runs in the running game so, so effectively. And then you've got big Rob Hunt, who I just think is having an excellent start to the season of his own regard, and they've had a ton of success running in that direction. I think it's over five yards per carry in that center right guard position. Also very curious to see how the Bengals handle that absence there of DJ Reader. Now off the edge, Teron Armstead, gosh, Oh boy, he's been as advertised, hasn't he? If he's good to go this week, he's a massive draw in Trey Hendricks, who leads the Bengals with 11 quarterback pressures. He's an absolute technician who will work to wear you down throughout the course of a game. So far, nobody's had an answer for Teron Armstead, and if I were given just one word to describe his game, technician would be it. That's another premier matchup here. Hendrickson's played 59% of the snaps, uh, or he did up in Jersey against the Jets, Hubbard played 73, and you might remember Hubbard from that freaking 2018 game that fell apart. He was the one that hit Tannehill to change the course of that game. He's an absolute beast. Strong as hell, tough against the run, and he can get you uh, with his pass rush too. He's second on the team with nine pressures, and yet again, it's an interesting matchup because Greg Little is such a strong, stout right tackle that you have strength on strength there. And then Joseph Asai, uh, is a guy to keep an eye on. Number 58, he's got just four pressures this year, but he's a guy that can literally rush any gap, mug up in the A-gaps, come off the edge. So if they mix their fronts and go with some type of odd or bear front or three-man front, locate number 58 because he could well be that extra rusher. Overall, I, I just really like the way this Dolphins offensive line's protecting. They face some of the top pass rushes in the NFL, and the production has been there. Dolphins running backs versus Bengals linebackers. I was curious to see their run defense production through three games and got to thinking, have they faced a fullback yet? Yeah, they have. It's one of those things where I had the hypothesis and it didn't wind up working out for me. But Derek Watt of the Steelers was the fullback they faced and they held Pittsburgh to 77 rushing yards on 25 attempts. It's a really good defense. I mean, we'll see about Reader being down, but they are stout up front and those guys free up Logan Wilson, who never leaves the field. He's the straw that stirs the drink in that base 4-2-5 they run. And Akeem Davis-Gaithier, who some draft gurus thought might be a safety at this level, he's not. He's just a good linebacker that runs like a safety. He's kind of their sub-package mix-and-match guy, but also he's the, the two in that base 4-2-5. Can they find a way to stack up the Dolphins' offensive line? I'm not so sure if, if it's going to be that easy to replace DJ Reader with you know big uh, Rob Hunt and Liam Eikenberg and Connor Williams barren downhill on those guys. We saw the lanes open up on the two touchdown runs. If we can get those consistently between the 20s, then we can get more explosives we've seen occasionally here in this running game. With that, with the conversion factor, I think we're just on the cusp of getting things going there. This game really is crazy, and I'm typing this as I watch the tape. Look at the numbers and consider the fact or consider the play styles, but it really is another familiar type of foe when you get to the spot. Fast running backs versus fast linebackers. All right, still with us? Let's go ahead and pivot now to the Bengals offense versus the Dolphins defense. And uh, let's see. 
If you didn't get a chance to check out Coach McDaniel's Tuesday Presser as well as Tua Tungavailoa, go ahead and get to the team YouTube channel. You can also find Jalen Waddles mic'd up from the game on Sunday on there. Picking it back up here with the Dolphins defense versus Bengals offense, quarterback versus safety. And, you know, the Bengals offense personnel-wise, they just don't mix a lot. 11 personnel has been run 81% of the time. It's four out of five times, right? 12 personnel is 7.5% of the time. There's 1% each from 02 and 22, which is no backs, two tight ends, and two backs, two tight ends. And then they have one play from a four receiver set. And they also have 9% of their offense with heavy offense or a heavy personnel package with an extra offensive lineman. So you basically get 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, three receivers, 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, two receivers, or heavy personnel, a six offensive lineman. That's basically your offense you get. Defenses have had a ton of success when they run cover two against this offense because Joe Burrow loves to hit his drop, hitch up, and throw in rhythm on his first read. The Jets did not run like any cover two last week, and they got vertical on that Jets defense. They, again, 11 personnel, and they often go four wide with a tight end as kind of one of those extra guys, and it's often two by two with Mixon left in the backfield to pick up the extra rusher, so you can get six man in protection, which, you know, to me says you can dial up that 5-0 look and blitz and get some simulated pressures on Joe Burrow because if there's one thing that he does, it's drop his eyes against pressure because maybe it's been kind of built into him over the last couple of years with how they've protected him, which hasn't been that good. But the Dolphins' ability to kind of confuse the quarterback and the rush scheme to get free runners, that could be a huge difference in this game because he's really good at kind of ducking in behind the offensive line and picking his spots on where to move when he has really light feet. But if you get free runners right in his face, especially with Javon and Brandon or Jerome Baker or even off the edge with Van Ginkle, like I don't think he gets away from those guys the way Josh Allen did. So that 5-0 look, I think, is a really good idea for this defense in this game. And you know, Burrow's superpower to me is, is that ability to get off the spot, but also to stand under fire and deliver accurate footballs and the way he manages the pocket. There's a long highlight reel of him sensing immediate pressure where he kind of just ducks in behind the line, searches for escape routes, and very Houdini-like often finds them. A good chunk of their offense last Sunday came against a blitz look where he gets pelted and throws a dime to Tyler Boyd, and then the Jets miss two tackles on the back end, and it turns a 16-yard play into a 56-yard touchdown with 40 yards after the missed tackle. So it's a big part of their offense, and we have to tackle better this week. No question about that. And that's an evergreen thing, but you know, I understand Josh Allen is sort of otherworldly, but he came into the game, we came into that game with only eight missed tackles. We missed 13 in that game. So that's got to get better. Um, this offense out of 11 personnel will condense things in the way Sean McVay did because Zach Taylor's a Sean McVay uh, tree guy, I guess. But when they condense that stuff, that only increases the likelihood of that 5-0 look to get those simulated pressures where you have multiple guys across the board you have all your your fits in the running game and then you can you know you can even drop out a guy like Zach Sealer or Christian Wilkins because they don't know where it's coming from that's the idea I, I think we're going to see a very good rush plan from the Dolphins in this game Javon Holland and Brandon Jones getting back to the safeties they're so good both have strip sacks that directly or nearly put points on the board for our offense they are right near the top of the leaderboard in pressures and sacks by safeties once again and Joe Burrow this year against the Blitz He's 68% with 8.7 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, and a 134.5 passer rating. When he's not blitzed, 63%, six yards per attempt, three touchdowns, four picks, and a 72.2 passer rating. So you're probably telling yourself, Travis, why would we blitz? Why would we blitz? 
Well, the pass rushes he's faced have not been anywhere near like this Dolphins defense can get after with the, they played the Jets. The Steelers are very good, so don't get me wrong, they turned him over four times, so there you go uh, defensively. But their secondary is not Miami secondary. They did have T.J. Watt. I'm getting off the rails here. And then game two against the Cowboys, it's kind of a similar idea. They had a good pass rush as well. So the defenses have been okay, but not, it's not like anything they, they'll see with the Miami Dolphins in terms of how they can create those pressures and simulated pressure looks against this Bengals offense. Under pressure, 40.7% completion, 6.2 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, one pick. Again, obviously getting pressure with four is always a winning formula, but really forcing him off the spot and having more than just one flyby is effective, whether it's a blitz or not. So if he makes the first guy miss, get that second guy in there and you can really, really, really shut down this offense. They love to throw the ball down the field and the way Javon has been covering back there, you know, yet again, makes this a very interesting matchup because I think that he can sky over the top of those 50-50 balls they love to take and get a couple of hands on balls, maybe pick one off this week. Teams have just not gotten deep on us. In fact, Miami has the fifth fewest completions on balls traveling 20 or more air yards down the field. And I think Javon's a big, big part of that. Speaking of those balls down the field, receivers and tight ends of the Bengals versus the Miami cornerbacks. We'll do that next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Back here on a Wednesday afternoon, published around noon today, I believe it was. Depending on when you hear this podcast, we are coming up on Dolphins and Bengals. We pick it back up on our preview here, taking a look at the Bengals receivers and tight ends versus the Miami corners. And, you know, again, talking about that cover two look that has had a lot of success against this Bengals offense this year. I just like that because of their affinity for attacking vertically. Like, remember that 2019 Dolphins team where they just basically threw 50-50 balls to Devontae Parker and Preston Williams until Preston got hurt, and then it was just Devontae Parker? That's basically how this function offense is primarily. Joe Burrow wants to find that matchup, isolate the one-on-one opportunity, and throw a 50-50 ball and let those guys go make plays. And last year, T. Higgins had the most contested catches in football, and Jamar Chase was 13th. That's who they were in college. That's who they've been as pros. Conversely, on vertical shots, no receiver had more targets of 20-plus air yards than Chase, and Higgins was 20th in that category, 40 and 23 targets respectively. That's 63 divided by 17. What is that, three per game, four per game? They're going to take their deep shots. We mentioned the personnel rarely changing. It's kind of funny because they will go 12 personnel, and they attach two Ys into the formation, and that's typically when they go max protect, play action, deep shot, two verticals. And if they get a one-on-one, they take it to either side of the field. So that's why I think Javon Holland in that post and the way he reads things, I think a big game for Javon Holland could be coming. We saw X shadows Stephon Diggs on Sunday. Pro Football Focus had Diggs catching just three of five targets for 47 yards in that matchup. That's exceptional against the league's leading receiver. Watching that Jets tape last week, man, Sauce Gardner, he can play, huh? But Chase had one target on Sauce and no catches. He had just 29 yards 
on 10 total targets, but don't let that lull you into a false sense of security. He's a big-time playmaker who can turn a game on his head with the ability he has to separate downfield. He's got this innate ability to stack and pull away from guys with that physicality, which I'm excited to see X match that because that's what X brings as well. But again, stop me if you've heard this before. Another premier matchup with clashing styles, X on chase is appointment viewing. Then Higgins is so sure-handed, and even if you're all over him, he can still pull it down. I'm curious to see the matchup there. It feels like the first matchup that we have where it's not like similar styles because Higgins at six foot five. do you go Needham, who goes six foot one? Do you go Kohu or Crossan, who are 5'10 each? And how about the game Nick had last Sunday, man? Just to just had to kick his confidence up another level with that showing. And the hits keep coming here with the Bengals attack, though, because Tyler Boyd inside is one of the shiftiest slots in the game, and he's so sure-handed. And Needham had a bunch of success against him back in that matchup in 2020, and that's why I'm so curious to see what Boyer, Madison, Gregory, and Sertan come up with on that back end. Does X shadow? Where does Nick go? And what's the rest look like as a result? Excuse me, Morty. Um, you know, looking forward to getting Byron Jones back because that answers this question pretty pretty fully. But their tight end group is interesting. And like we said, it's almost always 11 personnel, but they had very balanced workloads last week. Mitchell Wilcox, 39 snaps. Hayden Hurst, 26 snaps. Devin Asiasi, 24 snaps. The theme across all those guys is they can block. So you have to be careful to not get trapped into thinking 11 personnel equals pass because they will run behind that tight end attached and Mixon's one of the best backs in football. More on that in a moment. Offensive line versus defensive line. This is where you have to win the matchup if you're the Dolphins defense. You know, they can't protect long enough for Burrow to consistently get to that second read, and thus he drops the eyes. And that's why I think some potential for playmaking here, sacks, big plays, splash plays, takeaways, is a big part of this, this equation for Miami's defense. Haven't had that the last couple of games. That's what the defense does. I think they face two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. In fact, the two best current quarterbacks, I would say, have been Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. I would say two has been the third best quarterback in the league this year so far through the first three games. But there's a, there's a little bit of drop-off here in this game, at least through the, through the first three games. So hopefully Miami can get back to the takeaways. If they do that, that'll be a big way to win this football game. The Bengals addressed this offensive line very heavily this offseason with three free agent acquisitions. They did draft Jackson Carmen last year, but he got beat out by rookie Cordell Volson, who won a camp battle for that left guard position. They have not had an offensive line miss a snap this year. All five guys have played 158 snaps. The lineup and pressure numbers are as follows. Jonah Williams, 13 pressures allowed. Volson, 9. Ted Karras, 6. Alex Kappa, 5. And Lyle Collins, 6. And Hakeem Adenji has played 13 snaps this season. And it was all heavy personnel. It's all running plays. They bring him onto the field. He just runs the ball. No mystery in short yards what they want to do. And again, Mixon tends to convert those. But the Dolphins have the best, in my opinion, short yards defense in the NFL too. So more good on good. Interesting left side options there. Williams was a first-round pick, but his arm length is well below the league average for the threshold at left tackle. And this edge group between Ogba and Phillips has incredible length. But then again, it's not been very pretty for Lyle Collins so far in Cincinnati. So which way do you pick your matchups? On the two tapes I watched, he's often been off balance and can get got with some of those push-pull type of moves that Ogba really excels with. So if Ogba's got enough gas in the tank after playing 70 freaking snaps and playing his butt off on Sunday, I would think he has a chance to have a good game here as well. The Dolphins find various ways to generate pressure, and we know that. 
Wilkins and Sealer are absolutely wrecking shop right now. They're so freaking good. Wilkins has some snaps in the nose in Raekwon Davis's absence last week. And man, he was in the backfield before you could blink a couple of times. What an elite player. Ted Karras is having a nice year right now, but I'm curious to see him match up with the power of Wilkins and Sealer and Davis. That was kind of his bugaboo down here. Has it gotten better? Miami just has so many guys, so many ways they can bring. I'm not going to pretend to know how they're going to attack, but between, you know, Ogba, Jalen, Gink, Melvin Ingram, Trey Flowers, Christian Wilkins, Zach Sealer, you know, with Jerome in there to boot, I think you have multiple directions you can go, and it's going to be up to Josh Boyer to decide how to push those buttons, which, by the way, he was phenomenal against the Bills, tip of the cap to Coach Boyer. What a plan they had for Josh Allen, man. Six potential turnovers gone by the boards and seven different times they had him in the grasp and he couldn't get away. That's as good as you can draw it up. We'll execute better next time, but it was a great performance from that Dolphins defense. Running backs and linebackers, we finish here by looking at Joe Mixon and Samaji P. Ryan. P. Ryan's been a really nice third down option for them. Even had a clutch touchdown grab last week against the Jets, but they don't always go to him. Mixon's a super effective back on third down in his own right. And they like to sneak him up into that A-gap. Remember the Rams game a couple years ago? when they just couldn't handle our blitz and they kept putting uh, uh, Daryl Henderson up in the A-gaps to go pick off the A-gap blitzers. The Bengals do that too, but sometimes he'll he'll bluff a pass pro and just leak into the route against that mugged up linebacker. So you have to either plaster him or knock him down or just go get the quarterback. Keep an eye on that this week. On the Jets tape, they had him running a lot of routes from that position. So if he does it, you know, go get the quarterback or, or find him. But Jerome versus Joe is a good one. He'll run routes. He'll scan protect. They feed him the football. Hopefully, Jerome can bring the exact same game he brought last week because he was fantastic in that one. Then kind of another one of these situations where we got to see what Boyer wants to do because of that 11 personnel grouping often takes your linebackers off the field, but they run it really well from that grouping too. So it can be kind of a pick your poison it's a tough matchup there for Boyer in that regard. I thought Duke Riley was really good in the game on Sunday. His snaps have increased each week, and that shouldn't be a surprise. Very intrigued by his speed at that position, making an impact there. Mixon's averaging just 1.9 yards after contact, so keep that going. That's a, that's a number that they can't win with in this game. He has just two runs of 10-plus yards, averaging 2.8 yards per carry. If they do that, and it's a bit of an anomaly because he averages 4.1 yards per carry in his career and 2.82 yards after contact, but I see those numbers, and it sounds to me like a lot of third and longs, which is exactly how the Bengals will get into trouble in this game. Pro Football Focus has the Bengals averaging over five yards per carry running right and under four yards per carry running left. Kappa and Collins have been big-time people movers in that regard. Special teams, Evan McPherson, insane postseason run last year. Seven of nine this year, but two of two on 50-plus, including a 59-yarder. So once they get to the 40-yard line, they are well within his range. Morty. Kevin Huber is averaging 48.7 yards per punt this year. And Jason Sanders hasn't missed yet. Fun fact, this is the fewest amount of field goals he's kicked through three games in his career, just two. He's a weapon, as we've mentioned a few times over the years on here, but a weapon you love when you can keep him in the garage and don't have to use him too often. He's made all 11 extra points. Keep making extra points. I'll take that all day. Thomas Morstead, the free kick last week, was an absolute missile and a huge game-changing type of play from your punter. The boot to Bethel to pin him at the two-yard line. Punt team has been doing so dang good this year outside the last one on Sunday. He's averaging 43.9 yards per punt, but consistently putting teams deep. DVOA ranks, Cincinnati is 19th in special teams. Miami's 29th. That's got to get better. What's at stake? A chance to get to 4-0 is no small thing, especially against a team that won 10 games, made the postseason, and went all the way to the Super Bowl. 
a team that was eight and three and the one seed before injuries took their toll and a team who was arguably the second hottest team in the playoffs last year before they got clipped by the Chiefs in the divisional round and obviously everyone's favorite for the Super Bowl this year. And then a win Thursday would mean beating the defending conference champion. So if you get to 4-0 against that schedule, wow. And frankly, I just think as far as the eye test goes, Buffalo and Baltimore are two of the top five teams in the NFL right now. So through three games, you know, you're not just winning. This is not 2013 beating a bad Browns team, a banged up Colts team, and an overrated Falcons team before going to the Saints and getting blown out. It's not the 2018 3-0 run where you barely beat the Jets, you barely beat the Titans, and you get a miracle finish against the Raiders to win that game. And then week four, you get beat by 31 points against the Patriots. This is different this time. And you could almost you just couldn't devise a more difficult schedule to start the season. And that's before you consider turning around four days after an emotionally and physically taxing game to go on the road. We've learned a lot about this team's resolve through three games. They'll need that this week. So what's at stake is keeping distance between us and the rest of the division to head into that mini buy and get ready for the Jets and the MetLife takeover. If we can win this week and if Buffalo somehow loses to Baltimore, two-game lead and after that you have Vikings and Steelers in our building. Lions and Bears on the road and then back home for two games against the Jacoby Brissett-led Browns and the Davis Mills-led Texans with a bye sandwich between that. You get to 4-0, I think you'll feel pretty good about this team's chances this year. Three keys of the game, establish the running game, talked about keeping the defense fresh, keeping those guys on the sideline and kind of flipping the script on the Dolphins uh, plays this week. And plus, you know, Cheetah and Penguin, just 39 snaps last week. They're fresh, they're ready to go. The key number two, uh, that's a weird way to say that. Key number two, limit the Bengals' deep passing game. They get vertical down the field. Those deep shots, if you take away those, I don't think they're going to have much success against you. And number three, pressure Joe Burrow. Tuck those eyes behind the line, gets plenty of pressure. Sacked 13 times in the first two games, and their offense was not very good as a result. Do that again. They'll have no chance of beating you. The week four picks, since we don't have a podcast for you tomorrow, we're going to do it right here on the preview show. I was going to take the Bengals because of the short week and just the what's being asked of this team on this, you know, hurricane week and injury week and short week and 90 snaps on defense. But honestly, after watching the tape, I'm going back to the Dolphins. So give me the Dolphins over the Bengals. Give me the, the Vikings over the Saints in London. Give me the Lions over the Seahawks. I'll take the Steelers over the Jets, the Giants over the Bears, although I don't want to pick either team, maybe a tie. I don't know. Titans over the Colts. The Chargers over the Texans. The Falcons over the Browns is probably my biggest upset of the week. Give me the Commanders over the Cowboys. God, those, those NFC East games are not fun to watch. Philly over Jacksonville. Baltimore over Buffalo. Let's do it, baby. Come on. Arizona over the, Car- uh, over the Cardinals. Over the Panthers. The Raiders get their first win over the Broncos. The Packers against Brian Hoyer. Give me Aaron Rodgers in that one. Chiefs over Bucks on Sunday night. And Rams over Niners on Monday night. No college preview this week. Go Cougs. Still heartbroken by that. No guest. We are officially on to Cincinnati. And the next time I talk to you guys will be the Thursday night recap show or rather Friday morning. That'll be the recap. And then we'll do the film review over the weekend. Enjoy a Sunday slate without the Finns playing. My wife's out of town too. So I get to watch like 12 hours of football. Pretty excited about that. We'll pick it back up Tuesday at the quarter poll and or what used to be the quarter poll on a 16 game schedule. Same idea. And we'll progress as we normally do to Jets Week. Twitter Spaces show tonight. Check us out. Me, Seth, and OJ, 8 o'clock, uh, talking Dolphins and, and Bengals. We'll also litigate the Bills game further. In the meantime, you all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. 
follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out Seth and Juice on the Fish Tank. Check out our international podcast across the entire network. Check out our YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, Fish Tank, and Drive Time content live on that YouTube channel as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy's already home. Stay safe, everybody. 